Hey everyone and welcome dear listener to this episode of Security Headlines. My name is Philip and I will be your guide throughout this journey. In this show we would we like to talk with both the defenders of the systems and the attackers in order to give the listeners a broad point of view when it comes to security. In this episode we will take our attacker hat on and talk about the security competition games known as CTFs, which is short for Capture the Flag. How does it work? How do you find or build a team that does it? Joining me today is a person that, that is one of the founders of a CTF team based in Gothenburg, Sweden, called Schalmers CTF, Schalmers being a reference to the Swedish university named Schalmers. Joining me today is the hacker, developer, CTF player, father, InfoSec badass, is Michael Dubell, aka Dubsec. Welcome to Security Headlines, Michael. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? I am amazing. So before we jump into like CTFs and projects and stuff like that, I want to I wanna ask you, how did your journey into hacking and technology start and how did you end up here? That's a tough question, actually. I have always been interested in security and, you know, the hacking scene and so on. But it's, it's tough to say at one point where, where I became aware of, like, hacking computers and hacking networks. Uh, I think that maybe when I got my first Xbox and I was playing online, I was playing Halo 1 online, I started to play against people who... They were very good. They were like shooting me and killing me from all kinds of places, from all kinds of angles. And uh, later on, I learned that they were hackers. So somehow they had installed some kind of aimbot or wall hack on their Xbox, and they could yeah kill me through walls. And I maybe it was at that point I learned about hacking, and so I started to Google about hacking, search about hacking, and. That got me into web hacking, I believe, and hacking in general. Uh, so I think around uh, 13, 14, maybe, I started to search information about hacking. And I think I started to play uh, different war games and stuff like that. I think Over the Wire was one thing I played a little bit when I was uh, 14, 15, maybe. And then there were other sites, of course other like hacking groups, chat forums. Back in those days, forums was like the cool thing. Every, every hacker group had like a forum you you would register yep. on. And these forums would have like a hacking section where you could like complete challenges and stuff like that. So there, there were of course SQL challenges and uh, other types of web, web attack challenges and stuff like that. Uh, so I think over the wire and hack this, hack this site was one of the, one of the sites I uh, learned a lot from. That's a great site, the Hacktis site, and I recommend all listeners to check it out. Yeah, it, it starts from very beginner level, and then you uh, you level up and just get harder and harder challenges, which I think is very very fun, and it's a very talented yeah. group of people running the site as well. Yeah, and now I also remember I was playing on another site called Hellbound hackers i think hellboundhackers.com or .org or something like that i think they were a rival group to hack this site the hack this site but i played on both on, on both sites and yeah i learned a lot from both of them and it just snowballed from and, there uh, yeah exactly just snowballed from there and i at the time i 
I thought that I would like to work like in network security, that kind of stuff, you know, like firewalls and switches and routers and communication and stuff like that. So I actually studied like a network, uh, networking track uh, in school. Then I continued to university from there and studied IT forensics because that, that sounded like it was super cool. Yeah, and from there I uh, just con- I knew that I would not work in network security. I would do something more like pen testing and stuff like that. So I tried to uh, pivot from networking side into like pen testing side, which brought me to Chalmers to study some more, get out of my sysadmin-ish job that I was doing at the time. When I began at Chalmers, I met group of people who also liked security, liked hacking. And, and I guess in 2017, we started Sharma CTF and we played a lot of CTFs. That's nice. And how, how did you meet those people? Was it, did you go to the same class to them or they were just hanging around Chalmers or how did you connect with them? No, no, we were, uh, we were classmates. So uh, it was uh, my friend Noras and uh, Marco. And uh, then we met some other people. We met uh, Sunny, we met Elliot, and we met a bunch of other people that I maybe I'm not rem- remembering right now. But Norris and Marco, we were studying together, so we were doing courses together and stuff like that. So yeah. all of us, the three of us, uh, liked security and hacking in general. So uh, we said, why not start a CTF group? And yeah, we did it, and we created a website, and we informed our uh, like the professor of like computer security told him that we want to do this and maybe Shomers wants to sponsor us in some way or something like that. He thought it was awesome and we should do it and we can have like a university CTF team. And from there we tried to recruit more people and, you know, get the word out. So we printed posters everywhere like, okay, on this date we will play CTF, on this date we, we will learn a little bit more about security and stuff like that. We got some new people, and I think from these events, we met Sunny and Elliot. I'm trying to think of more people, but I can't remember right now. But we met a bunch of people, and yeah, we played a lot, lot of CTFs. That's very nice. This was, is this the first Chalmers group, or the first kind of student group from Chalmers to actually incorporate official CTF group? Are you the first one at Chalmers doing um, this? I think so. I mean, we, if I remember correctly, we asked the professor, Magnus, if there is like a kind of, a, if, if there is a security group doing like competitions, CTF, CTF competitions, stuff like that. I can't recall that he said yes. No, I think we, I think we were like the first ones that actually wanted to do like a university team and actually compete. I remember now that he said that he, he he's always wanted to do something like that, but never had time so uh, yeah i think we were the first the only thing that uh, was like uh, not it was not the best uh, year to start our team because 2017 was our last year and it was like the last semester so yeah we played a lot of ctf that last semester and uh, once we graduated from chalmers i continued to work I got a job at a consulting company doing development and then security. And Noras went on to do programming at an e-commerce site. 
And uh, Marco, I believe he went on to do uh, like DevOps work in Germany. So we kind of lost lost the uh, lost the flow that we had. There was no one else to uh, pick up the torch at that uh, time. And when you were playing, you were actually organizing real meetups and actually meeting up in person, correct? Yes, we were we were organizing meetups. We were printing. We were designing like flyers and stuff like that, and printing them out. And everyone got like an assignment. Okay, you take these uh, 50 flyers and put them up at that location and I will go to this location and you will go to that location. Yeah, so we tried to organize like physical meetups and it was fun. Uh, in the beginning, we got a lot of people. A lot of people wanted to learn more about hacking. Uh, but over time, it was kind of hard to retain people. Uh, there were, of course, there were those who stayed, but I guess in the beginning, we had like maybe... 20 to 40 students who came to our meetups. Let's say 30, I, th- I think, actually. And then at the end, we had like 10 or something. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, I don't remember, I don't think we ever got to know why that was. Maybe it was like the format we had, or maybe when we tried to play CTF, there were too many people, there were too many people who who were beginners and it was hard to like teach everyone at the same time. But yeah, it was fun anyway. And it has come a lot of good out of the group as well. I know there, I think there's one CTF player that was not in Sweden before, before he joined Chalmers CTF, Apple. And then thanks to Chalmers CTF, he managed to relocate to Sweden and actually get a job through Chalmers CTF. Am I right there? Yeah. Yes, you are actually 100% correct. Apple, uh, his real name is Mohammed. Uh, he's from Morocco. So he, he actually played for another CTF team. And somehow Apple and Noras, they connected on the cybers, in the cyberspace. Sure how they, how they met, each, met each other, but they did anyway. And uh, yeah, Apple wanted to play with us. And we said, yeah, why not? And he played, for us, played with us for a couple of CTF uh, events. And uh, later on, when I graduated and I got a job at Keats, where I work now, people got in touch with me and asked me if uh, there's we have any job opportun- opportunities for him here in Sweden. And of course, we had. So uh, yeah, I talked to him and I talked to my boss at Keats and uh, we set up a meeting and we talked some security, we talked development, programming, and one thing led to another. And now he's working with me at Keats. Awesome. Awesome. That's really nice that a group like this can provide both intellectual stimulants and knowledge to other students and also actually provide economical freedom and uh, economic stability to its uh, fellow players, so to say. Well, what kind of competition have you guys been playing? You've been playing a lot of, you've been playing at conferences and stuff, right? Yeah, we've been playing at security fests on site. Uh... I think that's the only one that the entire team has been active on site. And I believe may, maybe SecT as well. I, don't, I can't remember if the entire team was there. Uh, but otherwise, we have been playing more online CTF events than physical. I think uh, during our best period, we were actually number one in Sweden, the number one CTF team in Sweden. Yeah. But 
to be fair, to be fair, I believe that was because the other CTF team in Sweden at the time, hacking for Sojo, <laughs> they were not as active as we were. So naturally, we got more points than they did. And yeah, eventually we were number one. But hacking for Sojo is like one of the world's best CTF teams. So had they been more active, then maybe they would have been number one. <laughs> Yeah, but hacking for Sojo is also it's a team with people that work full time as penetration testers, and they've been into the security space for a really long time. So they got a lot of lot of experience, yeah, of and uh, they're old. That's what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of them are old. Some of them are a little bit younger. But uh, yeah, we were we were a pure uh, student CTF team, so. Uh, but we try to improve in uh, all the different categories in CTF uh, to, in order to yeah, get some more points. What are the categories in CTFs? So uh, usually we play like a Jeopardy style, means that you have, have usually you have crypto, crypto cryptography challenges, have web challenges web application, and you have sometimes forensic slash uh, like random challenges, exploit challenges, and uh, reversing challenges. Uh, let's see, do we have anything else? I missed something. Mobile forensics. sometimes. Yeah. yeah, forensics I mentioned. Yeah. Sometimes mobile. Yes, so I think that's, those are the categories. Of course, there can be more. You can add some your own categories, but those are considered to be the normal categories, I believe. Uh, so most of Shalmer uh, CTF team, we were we were focusing on web forensics and reversing, and we also try to focus on exploit challenges as well. But we were, I think that our skills were a lot higher in the web and forensics space than the other spaces. We try to improve every after every event. We read all the write-ups that people produced, and we try to recreate them. And yeah, so from every every challenge that we failed, we we try to learn from it and hopefully solve the next challenges for the next CTF event. So for people that that are into maybe they're studying or they're doing other things, and they're basically really they want to get into CTFs and they want to have a a group where they can share knowledge with, they want to build a team, a CTF team. What advice do you have for those people? Well, let's say if you assume that they are a student group and they want to create a CTF team, that number one priority should be like to have, to, should be to have fun, basically. First of all, it should be fun. It shouldn't be like something that, oh, I need to do this CTF again. Um, and number two, obviously, there should be an interest for it. Everyone should have, a, have an interest for it and uh, want to learn something and, you know, just play it for the fun of it. And over time, of course, you start to learn about tools and techniques and different vulnerability classes, for example, in web. Maybe you didn't know about a certain SQL injection vectors that you now know. Uh, so over time, of course, you will become better and better and better. And also, I believe that when you solve a challenge, it's good to to uh, write a write-up of how you solved it, uh, because that forces you to to think more about how you actually solved it, and forces you to 
to teach other people in some way how to solve challenges like these, basically. So it's also, of course, good to read write-ups. Uh, we learn a lot of lot of new uh, stuff, uh, tools and techniques and mobility classes just from reading write-ups. So actually becoming like a security, yeah, let's say you want to become a penetration tester or something like that. Uh, if you start out in a CTF scene, if you're a beginner, I think that's like after six months, one year, you will have learned a lot of new things. Certainly, because in a lot of games, CTF games and in Jeopardy games in the web application scene, they're, they're often created by penetration testers that have found weird or unusual uh, vulnerabilities in real web application, and then they want to emulate it in a way and uh, yeah. get other people to... Uh, to exploit it and uh, learn what they did, so to say. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that all the security stuff that I know and knew before I started working as a security consultant, all that knowledge I learned from playing war games and CTFs, basically, and reading write-ups and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, I think that most people... Uh, Maybe not. I don't know how is it how it's today, but I guess like ten years ago, people doing security, most people learned. They were like doing. Uh, hopefully, they were doing legal stuff and not illegal stuff. But I think that most people have learned this internet on the internet. Uh, it's 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 hard to go to university and like okay, I'm going to study cybersecurity, because I think that if you go to this, to the university to study security. You will probably learn like very, very basic and maybe even outdated stuff. Of course, maybe we learn like the foundation, but <laughs> that you can do by yourself on your free time. If you ask me, yeah. If you go to university. Uh, you will, you will like read a. You will have like a ready track. Okay, you should read this and this and this and so on. So. You, of course, you will get the foundation, on, and also you will get a degree and so on. So I think that uh, reading on uh, during your free time and hacking during your free time and also doing university maybe is a good thing. Getting your Depends hands on what you want to really. Yeah, getting your hands dirty, I think, is totally a really key thing in this. Uh, because if you you know, hacking is very addictive because it's like programming. It's very addictive because of the dopamine uh, rushes you get when you found uh, find something, and it's also very fun. So, getting your hands dirty and actually learning more yeah. and having that intellectual stimulants that is uh, something that is hard to read about. It is possibly doable to read about, but uh, I know a lot of good penetration testers that's never been to university and. Uh, but yeah, that's like any yeah, field, you know, not like any field, but you know, the best people are those that specialize and actually spend a shitload of time learning it. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's so, exactly what you say. You have to uh, get your hands dirty and you have to have to have like a deep interest for it and continuously learning more and developing your skills and so on. And also when we played CTF, when we were playing like at our peaks, I'd say, we were probably playing different CTF events like let's see two or three events every week so like during the weekends 
in the middle of the week and then during the yeah next weekend. So it was really hardcore playing, 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 playing. And I remember my girlfriend was like, "Okay, what should we do next weekend?" Uh, I'm playing CTF. So, <laughs> Bye. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it was a lot of CTF playing, and also maybe that also can talk about the flip side of playing too much, because we were like playing every week, two or three events, and then uh, after six months, seven months, eight months, I was really, really burnt out. I was like, I can't play anymore. I can't play any CTF. Can't do it. Uh, so I didn't play CTF. Like, yeah, I, didn't, I don't think I played like for a year or maybe a year and a half or something like that. I didn't play like uh, for competition or something like that. Maybe I did like one challenge or two challenges for a given event, but it was nothing serious uh, at all. And I'm trying to remember. The other guys, I think the other guys were also burnt out. So I guess all of us were burnt out from playing too much CTF. So that's one thing to also add to the beginners who want to talk to CTF team. Don't play too much. Go to ctftime.org, I believe, and select one one event each month or something like that and try to participate one once every month or something like that instead of every week like we did because you will be burnt you will burn out your brain basically yeah especially when yeah. Uh, doing it at conferences where people they will stop sleeping they will uh, retain from sleeping and then they will just stay up like 30 hours straight or something just uh, poking at a problem and uh, they eventually solve it and that's very impressive but uh, yeah you should also take care of your body so to say yeah, of course. I remember when we went to Security Fest and also Stack T playing CTF. I think Security Security Fest, we were more playing for the competition. Stack uh, T, we were probably playing just for fun. But either way, uh, we were playing. We were playing like constantly. We were not even watching the other uh, the speakers talking or, or anything like that. We were just sitting in the CTF room, just playing, 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 not watching the conference. <laughs> Uh, but it was fun anyway because uh, you met a lot of other CTF players and you were all together and could talk and chill and stuff like that. So it was fun, but too bad that we didn't really participate in the talks. But that's the CTF life when you're playing at the security conferences, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's very, especially like SecT, that conference, it's... Uh... It's very, very fun and very stimulating if you're a security nerd because you have talks going on from 9 a.m. in the morning till 6 or something. And then you have this always after parties. And uh, while this is going on, you always have a CTF that's always going on. And then you have the vendor area. You need to go to talk. You mingle. And there's just so much going on. So it's very hard to balance things, uh, things out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, so for people that want to start a CDF team, they're kind of new to that. What, what are some good beginner CTFs to play to kind of get uh, their uh, feet wet, so to say? I think that Pico CTF, PicoCTF.org should be, I think that's probably the best resource to use if you're a beginner, if you want to get into CTF, because they have a lot of 
they have a lot of easy challenges in different categories uh, which you can do just to yeah get your hands dirty and uh, to get into it and learn about the different tools and techniques that exist and so on so PicoCTF, I think, is very good. And then, of course, you can, if you go on github.com, you can, of course, search for, like, CTF, and you can find different CTF events that have been published. So, for example, I think there's a Google CTF repository where you can find, like, the 2018 challenge. Write-ups, yeah. 2019. Yeah, I, I think it's the write-ups and maybe even challenges. I don't remember, really, but... Uh, you can find a lot of repositories that contain write-ups and challenges which you can practice on. Yeah, and of course, if you also, maybe in the beginning, you should focus on an area. So you can maybe focus on web uh, category. So you can search for CTF web write-ups, something like that. Uh, and also, there's, a other repo- there's another repository called CTF Tools. And it's created by a guy called Sardus, if I... Uh, pronounce that right, Sardus. Uh, so that repository contains like 100 uh, tools uh, used in the different CTF categories. So, for example, in web, you maybe if you will find tools for uh, you maybe find SQL map. I think SQL map is probably part of that repository. And then maybe let's say for encryption, you will find some uh, some scripts, some tooling for attacking uh, RSA crypto schemes, stuff like that. And for forensics, you'll, you'll find tools for extracting metadata, stuff like that. Like volatility. So, and... Yeah, that repository contains a lot of information about different tools. Yeah, volatility, exactly. Volatility. Uh, so yeah, that repository is very good to to get to know what kind of programs exist today to help you in CTF. That's awesome. We'll have that linked in the show notes. So... Where is Shalmer CTF today? If I'm right, it, the project has been forked by a guy that is <laughs> crypto that. savvy. <laughs> so what, what's going on today? Correct. What's going on today? So yeah, Shalmer CTF kind of died out because yep, Life we happened. most of us graduated. Life happened. We got jobs now. <laughs> and I got a kid now. And yeah, so Shalmer CTF kind of died out. By the way, I just want to plug that we have our old site still up, shalmerctf.se. You can also see all the events we had online. Uh, yeah, but the group kind of died out. Not many people active in our channel and so on. But then, all of a sudden, well, not maybe all of a sudden, but there's a guy called Klondike. He has also created a lot of challenges for different conferences that I've been playing at. For example, Security Fest and SecT. He usually creates challenges that makes you want to kill yourself afterwards because they are so they are so strange and they are so i don't know they they turn your brain inside out basically and that's also one thing i, yeah, I should mention about ctfs and challenges that challenges they don't have to be like uh, based in reality they can be like whatever as long whatever as you can imagine. innovative problem solving yeah. yeah as long as it's like some kind of problem solving involved and that maybe entails that it's, it's some kind of puzzle or something like that. Uh, so it depends, of course. Uh, some challenges are fun because they are more connected to like reality and real-world problems, stuff like that. Some challenges maybe are not that fun because they are not so connected to real-world problems and 
maybe they are very unlikely problems that you would encounter. But that's also one thing that from these challenges that are very unlikely that you will encounter in the real world, you maybe will learn more stuff that you would never otherwise have learned. Ways to think and ways to attack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a mindset. But uh, that doesn't usually apply to Klondike challenges because they are way, way... I mean, to solve these challenges, you have to be... You have to think like him. You have to become Klondike, basically, (laughs) which is impossible. Anyway, he started a PhD program at Chalmers, and he kind of resurrected the CTF group. Uh, now it goes other. It goes under another name called. So now the group is called Chagu, I believe we settled on that name. Chagu, Cha for Shama CTF and Gu for for Yotu Boys University. University, yeah, yeah. Because now Chalmers and Gothenburg universities, yeah, they have some kind of connection, or uh, yeah, they work together. So we have students from uh, both schools. So that's why we chose that name now is now it's a little bit different if we compare it to last time when we started Shalmas ctf because when we started the ctf i think the ctf scene in sweden wasn't that broad it was like hacking for sojo and i know of course it was us and then maybe some other group here and there but now today 2020 ctf scene is in sweden is like very broad well known uh, you even had like uh, governments hosting ctf events and other companies and so on. So now it's very broad. So now today in the Chogu team, we have actually very many people. Yeah, not many maybe, but we have a lot more people that are super, super interested in security and also has a lot of skills in security in different areas compared to when we started. Because when we started, not many people were like, oh, CTF, what is that? But now people know what it is and they probably have played a little bit on the pre- on their own before this uh, joined Chagu. So that's uh, how, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, uh, Shoma CTF got forked and now it's Chagu and it's going strong. That's nice. That's very nice. I think a big key of it is that uh, Sweden is slowly falling after the US and the US has, you know, it's opened up a lot to bug bounties. It has opened up a lot to uh, having captured the flag and security competition by companies both because it's uh, it's a very cost effective way to to do security on their own applications bug bounties and it's also a great recruiting uh, uh, way a way to kind of find very talented people that wouldn't uh, be found otherwise so to say which i i think is uh, truly awesome so you've gone through this journey through CTFs, through networking into security, and now you work full-time with pen testing. Am I right? Yes, you're right. You're correct. Now I work full-time as a security consultant at KITS. So KITS is a small, well, maybe not small, it's a medium, medium small consultancy company based in Gothenburg. So we do security and we do uh, development and some project management. So at Kits we have, I think that almost everyone at Kits they are developers. Yeah, they are, I think all of them are developers. And then, of course, we have some people that are project managers. So I, me, myself, I am also a developer in, I worked as a developer before. So I have done development and now I do security. So it's very good to know programming and be able to read code and also 
now when I do security, I can easily read and understand code easily. Understand is, what's uh, happening and why it's yeah, happening. Exactly. So uh, if you, if I get like, uh, okay, you have this project, we get the source code. Oh, yeah, I should say that we work. When I work, we all, always get uh, the source code. So instead of like doing black box testing, okay, now we need to do, uh, I need to test this, uh, let's say authentication mechanism thing. I can first look at the source code and see, okay, how is it done? How is like passwords uh, hashed and stuff like that? And then I can do some dynamic testing if, I think it's if if I need to do it basically. So yeah, now I work as a security consultant. And I th oh, I should mention that actually it was actually a security fest when Kits hosted a CTF challenge at Security Fest, and at that point it was uh, also my friend. Yeah, I forgot to mention one of the most important names, Mikael Wexstein. He helped us start Chalmers CTF as well. He was actually working at Kits. So he was he was also playing with us a couple of times and so on. How did you get in contact with him? Oh, that's actually also a funny story. I forgot to forgot about this, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we wanted to start a CTF team, so we talked to our professor, professor uh, Magnus, told him we want to start a team, and he told us that we should get in touch with this guy called Vexstein. And uh, okay, who is that guy? Oh, he uh, he he knows another guy at Chalmers University called Steven Van Acker. And uh, I didn't know who Steven Van Acker was at the time. But yeah, fast forward, we met Vexstein and we talked to him and we decided, yeah, let's do it. Uh, the four of us, let's start Chalmers CTF and play CTF together. And then uh, when I got to meet Steven, if I remember correctly, that was his connection to the university somehow. And then I got to know Steven Acker, and it turned turns out that he was the creator of Over the Wire, the same wargame site that I was playing when I was like 14 years old. Yeah. Now I'm <laughs> at the university, and he's like, uh, yeah. No, he was not part of the team, but he was connected to Shalom CTF. He helped sometimes. And we got we were also asked him questions and stuff like that. He also helped he helped me during my thesis as well. So it was a little bit fun. And also one thing that's super, super strange is that Steven Steven Mikael, his brother, Matthias Wexstein, he was my teacher when I was doing my uh, bachelor's degree. <laughs> it's like what? It's a very small world that we live in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a very small world indeed. So uh, you're a pen tester. Is there any common patterns that you see that that maybe, you know, um, a lot of companies miss out? And for all of our listeners that are running companies, maybe there you have some best practices for them that they can implement that you see that a lot of people are missing? Uh of question but uh, let's see one thing that i have seen is that some they will depends on the size i've been to two fairly large companies that have had software like it was the software was created like 20 years ago 10 years ago something like that some of these companies are still like using md5 for hashing uh of course, one common thing I see is, of course, like hard-coded secrets in the repositories. Almost always, I know that one of our customers they're very good to encrypt their secrets locally. So and then they decrypt it during runtime. So that's that's good. Uh, but storing secrets, uh, maybe using outdated 
hashing algorithms. I don't know. Maybe there's some more pattern, uh, more issues, common issues, but I can't think of them right now. Maybe it will come later as we as we move along. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, so let's touch upon your uh, on your development life. Are you mostly into Python, or are you? How does your development life look like? Well. Today I do mostly Golang, I would say, because I think that being able to cross-compile to different operating systems is so nice. It's very nice. <clears throat> Before, uh, when I when I started to learn about programming, I think it was like uh, when I was 16 years old. Uh, I was studying like web design in the at the school. So I learned CSS and HTML. And from there, I learned PHP or tried to learn PHP. And I tried to build websites with, with PHP. I did. And uh, actually, at the, the, the job that I was working at at the time, I did some PHP development at the side, which was using the Send framework, I believe. I don't remember correctly. I think it was. No, it was Symphony, Symphony, Symphony 2, I believe it was. Uh, uh, but yeah, from there, after that, I was kind of more into Python because yeah, Python is way more cooler, cooler than PHP. At least that was what I believed. Uh, yeah. So I've always been doing, I think I've been doing Python like forever, it feels like. Uh, but the problem, not the problem, but one of the things with Python is that it's not very easy to to uh compile or to like tell your friend here i wrote this program can you run it oh no i must install python first or i have to do some kind of like uh, python to exe conversion stuff like that yeah so uh, eventually i started to learn more about golang and started to do, do some small programs in golang and i yeah said to myself that yeah this this is going to be my my new language to learn and to develop in Awesome, awesome. But as you say that at work, at work I have done uh, mostly Java, and uh, usually when I encounter software projects, it's often programmed in and developed in Java as well. But on my free time, it's mostly GoLang and sometimes Python. That's nice. Right now, in this uh, kind of paradigm that we're living in, we're kind of moving from Java to uh, GoLang and Rust and. Uh, to other languages, which is very, very interesting to see the move from Java because Java is like the king of the corporate world and it has been the king of the corporate world for 10 yeah. years at least because it's a lot higher level than C++ and C and it's easier to find people do it. But comes with a cost, comes with a GVM, which is can be pure hell sometimes. And uh, mm. yeah, unfortunately. Okay. Let's talk about uh, your project Bounty Strike. What is it? <laughs> yeah, so Bounty Strike. Uh, it was actually, I first developed Bounty Strike in 2017. It was uh, when I was kind of more into bug bounty at that time. Kind of bug bounty and CTF, for me at least, it goes like hand in hand in some way. Uh, so I did a lot of CTF, I did some bug bounty stuff that. But one thing with the bug bounty, uh, the bug bounties I were doing, and the pro uh, programs I were hack hacking on, I wanted to store all the information I had like in a central repository that I could easily filter and work on from a web interface. Because sometimes I was using a different computers and didn't have all my tools. And 
yeah, sometimes I just want to do a quick thing. I didn't want to SSH into my hacking box. I just wanted to to be able to log into a web interface, do a quick thing, do maybe a scan or something like that, and that's it. So I uh, came up with this project, Bounty Strike. It was not it was not uh, like a new project that has hadn't been done before, but the purpose of Bounty Strike was to create a web interface web application uh, where I can enter a domain, let's say Google, for example, and uh, then I can uh, do a scan, recon scan, an asset discovery scan, which would try to find all the subdomains for google.com using uh, open source uh, sources. And uh, maybe, uh, let's see, I think I had, yeah, I had some brute forcing. I had a brute forcing uh, plugin as well that would basically take all the domains from a list and try to see if they exist on Google. Uh, so that was one thing it did. And then of course, store all the information, store store the response and its headers and all, stuff like that. So I can view it. Then uh, if I want to do a, a scheduled scan, I could enter like a cron expression. And then I say, okay, I will, I will, I want to do this scan every yeah, Friday, let's say, and it will perform that scan every Friday. This program was built with Django because I was kind of into Django at the time. Uh, I still like Django, but uh, usually nowadays it's Golang, so not much Django. So that was the purpose of it, and I and I think that I I uh, got the idea and uh, said said to myself, yes, I need to do this, and I just coded and coded and programmed for like seven days straight. And then I was like super, super uh, tired. And uh, I, I think I didn't even use the program that I built like for the next two months or something like that. It wasn't until later when I kind of regained my motivation again to do, do bug bounty. Because once again, I spent too much time doing one thing and my brain was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. What have you used the program for? What has been the return of investment? What have you found and has it led... <laughs> to exploiting real applications? Uh, well, I would like to say that the return on investment has been super good. I'm now a millionaire and uh, I can quit my job at any time, but sadly that's not the case. So I built this time. program. Yeah, it takes time. I built this program in the hopes that I would, this would be my like daily tool. I would use it like every day and do my asset discovery scans and get like, also I could get notifications of course. And, um, so the way it was built, it was that I had like plugins for different categories. I had like a plugin for uh, asset discovery and I had a plugin for like vulnerability discovery. But I, the problem was that one, when I developed this, I didn't use it for two months initially. And then when I started to use it, I, I didn't use it as I intended to the program to be used. I just used it to store all my information uh, and then I always came back to my SSH uh, login to my uh, attacking machine and I, I just fetched all the information I had in my database and I yeah, worked on my hacking machine instead, instead of using the web interface, which I built and spent a lot of time in tweaking and fixing and stuff like that. So, uh, so the program in itself did not find any vulnerabilities because I was not using it that much for some odd reason. Even though I probably spent like total maybe I don't know 200 hours maybe on it uh, fixing and programming, so the return on investment has been very low, except for maybe knowledge I have uh, learned from this project. But it was very fun to program it and develop it. 
and the different parts of the uh, entire yeah stack. Uh, so that's why today I I thought to myself now I need to do more. I need to I need to do more bug bounty because I want to do more bug bounty and I want to use bounty strike as it was intended to be used. I decided to rewrite it in Golang, but instead of going like full development mode and just just hack away for like one week straight, I just incrementally created uh, features after feature after feature. Today I have like a basic uh, yeah application that do that forms login logout and user registration and stuff like that and you can save all your data so the next step is to just finish the, uh, the like scanning uh, engine if you will part of the program so that's that's on my to-do list hopefully i can use this like yeah every day and uh, share it with uh, some of my teammates and we can use it together and store all of our all of our information and and hopefully we can find uh, some some vulnerabilities through this program via automation, basically. That's awesome. So yeah, I think it would be a really useful tool to have when you're doing bug bounties because one of the the industry secrets in bug bounties is that uh, in order to to easily succeed, you need to be quick on the ball, so to say. You need to quickly quickly attack the new uh, system as soon as it announces before everyone else founds the vulnerability. And there might be even some people that have uh, connected the like bug crowd and hacker ones feeds into their own program and are, are automating it, so to say. Yeah, ex- exactly. You're, you're 100% right. That was also one of the things why I wanted to build this tool because I was doing bug bounties for quite some time and I wanted to automate certain and stuff and I wanted to also monitor certain things uh, looking for certain indicators and so on so that was also why I built uh, the first version of Bounty Strike and I mean today people that are like on the elite level of bug bounty all of them have some some kind of uh, automation in place so they're looking continuously scanning assets and changes and when you have a change course you investigate investigate that change and you look for any vulnerabilities and so on and, and i think if you want to be very 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 successful bug bounties i think that that's something that you have to but of course you can also be very very successful if you're very very good and you can and you understand web applications you understand code you understand vulnerabilities you can look for like high 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 for example uh, apple that we talked about before Mohammed, he's uh, he has a friend that was he's only been doing bug bounty on paypal he's been doing bug bounty on paypal for like four years the only program only paypal uh, so he knows like paypal in and out he knows everything and but I don't know his setup, but I believe that he's, I assume he's doing some kind of monitoring and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, he has gotten like crazy, crazy payouts from PayPal. And just by, he's just looking at PayPal all the time. And of course, of course, I mean, during four years, new functionality will be added. New features will be added. Developers come and go maybe. So you get some new developers that maybe are like more junior or, or maybe a developer just fucks up and, introduces a vulnerability into a new feature and it gets deployed and to put to production and yeah now you have a bug in production and and then this guy will come and find it and get like 30,000 payout yeah it's so, crazy uh, that, yeah uh, 
the consultants or the freelancers they they get paid a lot more than the people actually working there for uh, for bug so yeah if you want to be very very good at bug bounty or at least you want to be on the level where the top players are you have to have some kind of monitoring solution in place uh, but today of course uh, there exists a lot of these uh, uh, programs for example detectify has i mean detectify the entire business model is having an engine which can continuously scan for vulnerability and scan for assets and stuff like that uh, and i think that there's another one asset notes it's also another one, another uh, company now. I think actually, Asset Note was like a super easy, simple Flask application that was running in Vagrant, which uh, did a super simple, like a scheduled scan, which you can, if I remember correctly. And today, it's Asset Note is now a big company with people uh, employed. And stuff like that so there are some big players so i don't think that bounty strike will will uh, reach to the top that fast or take over any positions but i have some ideas that these other players these other companies have not implemented and uh, my vision for bounty strike is to is to be a tool for bug bounty hunters by bug bounty hunters so we'll see how that works out that's awesome i'm really looking forward to see the the project grow and uh to see what what comes out of that. I just want to touch on the Detectify and we we at Firo we do uh, what we call vulnerability management which other people are using for marketing uh, but what we call vulnerability management we were the first one in the market and why we start me and the co-founder started the company. We have a real time um, uh, engine that is just processing vulnerabilities. And it also matches them against the software. So we're kind of we're kind of this hybrid unicorn, which I thought honestly that people were gonna use it for just detecting security vulnerabilities, but turns out that uh, a large chunk of our customer base are uh, are like people that want to build continuous integration system upon our solution. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of looking for vulnerabilities. Well, basically, some someone comes with a profile and they say, okay, we run software X, Y, and Z. And then they plug that into our engine. And then our engine is a real-time, uh, like a real-time correlation engine. So it doesn't, mm. uh, it's not a scanner. It will not, oh, okay. uh, ru- no one writes modules. But what happens is that this engine will then, uh, it will match against uh, like security holes that affect this, uh, affect this software. So we have this giant like vacuum that just sucks in uh, new updates and shit like that. And then it does some black magic AI and it uh, gets formatted into a really nice uh, format. And then it matches against uh, the softwares that our customers running. So it's more, it's an update notification service with a bit of security niche to it, which a lot of, which are tell our customers that it is. Yes. Anyhow, so when do you think we can see a, a live public web interface of Bounce The problem is that now I have, now I have told the entire world about this project. Yes. So now, now I have to deliver. Yes. Now I can't back down. I don't know. I have hopefully, hopefully I will have like an alpha API version before the end of this year, which will be shared privately to my teammates, the other people who want access. And then, uh, so yeah, let's hopefully they, by the end of this year, there will be a uh, public uh, web page 
or by Boundstrike.io. Boundstrike.io. Write that down. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into the next segment of the show called Quick Questions, where I ask you some yeah. quick questions to, so we can get to know you better. What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink? Uh, red wine. Nice one. <laughs> uh, when do you feel the most happy in your week? When do you feel that you're peaking on happiness? There's actually two answers to these questions. Or I think I peak when I have solved difficult programming problems, or I have managed to bypass a some kind of filter problem or yeah, some something uh, that I can use, something that I can exploit as difficult, or. I, Or also when I get to play with my son, I think. If I get to do all of those three, then I, then it's like top of the world. Happiness overload. That also. Yeah. What's your favorite outside activity? Outside activity. Uh, I'm a hacker. I don't go outside. No, outside activity. I guess it would be to walk, walk uh, through the forest with my uh, girlfriend and my son and enjoy the, the forest and the sounds of the birds the birth the sounds that the birds are making <laughs> so, nature enjoy nature nature enjoy that nature amazing what's your favorite yeah. ide or text editor i would say code is probably the one that i'm using the most after that it's uh yep no yeah Oh, we're back, we're back. Yeah, we're back. Uh, favorite text editor is probably v- Visual Studio Code. After that, it's probably Vib. Nice. That's a, that's, pretty, that's a good answer. How does your workflow look like when you're supposed to, when you go to work in the morning, you boot up your computer and do work? Uh, how do you allocate your time? Do you sit down and do all at once or do you take breaks? And how do you do it? Yeah, so... I get up, I eat breakfast, uh, play with my son, maybe take care of him a little bit before I start work and have some coffee, start computer and uh, try to remember what I was doing yesterday. And yeah, then I start working for like uh, an hour straight, take some, take a break and start working again until lunch maybe. Maybe I take a coffee break before lunch. I think that my I'm, I'm more in the zone during... Uh, during the first hours of the day when I start working, then I am after lunch. I think after lunch, my brain is a little bit, uh, so I think I have like one or two breaks before lunch. Yes. What's your favorite all time compiler? What's your absolute favorite compiler? You can pick whatever language you want. Oh my God, I have no idea. Uh, well, I have been studying uh, assembly lately. So uh, let's say it's the NASM compiler. Ooh, nice. Very nice. It's not Quincy 99, no? <laughs> nope. What's your favorite song or band? Favorite song or band? Uh, Spotify actually released like a list of all my most uh, listened songs and bands. And I think that the one that made the top list was... Uh, was like a uh, techno, no, like an electronic sound electronic music artist james james egbert i've been listening to his music for quite some time in 2020 at least nice how do you do package management how do you make sure that your system stays uh, up to date and happy my if we talk about my python programs i used the uh, before i used uh, 
what's it called? I used a, I used Circle CI for continuous integration running tests, and then I think it was GitHub's uh, internal. They have like an internal scanning tool or something like that that scans all the dependencies and stuff like that. So I've been using that for uh, looking for uh, potential vulnerabilities in my dependencies. And that's I mean that's that's been working great for me. So yeah, GitHub I guess. How do you do it with, with your normal computer? How do you update that? Do you have it on auto update or do you allocate time to update it? My uh, work computer is not managed by me, so uh, someone else updates <laughs> that computer. Someone uh, else's problem. Computer, yeah. I'm the one doing the updates. Uh, yeah, it's someone else's problem. No, it's, uh, it's a normal Windows machine, so uh, it's doing uh, it's doing uh, auto updates. But for my Linux servers, uh, I think I have security updates on so that security updates automatically and yeah the other updates i do manually what's your favorite scanner like nmap or web scanner or port scanner what's your favorite scanner oh so tough questions uh well nmap of course is like the classic uh, tool there's so many new scanners now i mean it's like if you look at the bug bounty scene if you you can say that uh, there's an, there's there's so many scanners that like there are JavaScript frameworks. Out there. <laughs> uh, people come up with new scanners, new scanners every day, every day, every day. They all do the same thing. Uh, but uh, Nmap, of course, is a classic. What I like about Nmap is you can also write your own plugins, or so like uh, yeah, scanning plugins, basically. So you can use Nmap to to scan for whatever you want to scan for. Yeah, the scripting uh, engine is amazing. So, yeah. The script- yeah, super good. So actually, yeah, I mean, Nmap. Uh, I was, yeah, I'm gonna say Nmap because it does everything basically. Awesome. What's your favorite? Uh, okay, burp. The Burp scanning engine is also very good. Yeah, that's that's, that's also very popular and a good alternative. What's your favorite karaoke song? What uh, song would you most likely to sing at karaoke? Oh, I have no idea. Uh... Let's see, when was the last time I did karaoke? Probably uh, some uh, Robbie Williams song, something like that. <laughs> nice. What's your favorite IRC client? Oof, uh, I'm not using IRC that much, but when I when, when I am using it, uh, I've been using uh, I've been using XChat, and I've been also using uh, this other command line tool called. Uh, What's it called? Is is uh, Isri? I don't know. Yeah, I R S S I. Yeah, maybe it was that. Yeah, I think that's the one that I've been using uh, on my Linux machines. Or maybe it was we? No, WeChat. WeChat. WeChat is the one that I've been using also. Or is it the correct name? No, it's not WeChat. You see, I don't even remember the names for all the IOC clients that exist. It's some command line uh, tool that uh, I've been using. Okay. What's the latest interesting proof of concept exploit or vulnerability that you read and thought, wow, this is really smart? It has to be uh, request smuggling by uh, Albino Wax, James Kettle from uh, Burp, uh, Burp Suite. Or the, yeah, Port Speaker. 
Uh, request smuggling uh, was really cool. His write-up was really cool. And his uh, video uh, conference, the talk he did, I think, was a Black Hat, was also very nice. I learned a lot from that one. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably the one that I that I like the most. Yeah, it's a really good... Uh... It's a really, really good research by one of the burp, uh, burp people. Basically, that you can uh, you can smuggle HTTP requests within HTTP requests, and uh, the load balancer will not filter that, and you can smuggle malicious stuff stuff in it. So, what does the future hold for you? We are excited about Bounty Strike, but do you have any other cool project coming up? Uh, well, I guess the coolest, coolest, coolest project I'm doing is probably beginning uh, January 1st. So I will go on paternity leave. So I will be with my son every day, 100%. Awesome. Hopefully I will have time for some programming. But otherwise, that will be my full-time project. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there anything we have forgotten that you would like to is there anything we missed that you would like to highlight or maybe touch upon or elaborate more on uh well, i think we covered uh, a great deal about ctf uh, maybe one thing that people that are new that want to do ctf or bug bounty is uh, is to remember that to have fun first and uh, don't overdo it don't push yourself too much because if you push yourself too much you will lose motivation Try to do it incrementally and uh, learn as much as you can. And also remember that if you want to work in security, uh, I guess in any field, that you yeah you have to try to do as much as you can on on your own time and don't expect that you can go to like a course or a university and you will learn everything and you can immediately start working. You need to have some kind of home lab or something like that you can practice on. I think that's. Uh, one of the key things, at least. Totally. Learning by doing. Learning by doing. That is uh, that is very good. Yeah. All right. So for all our listeners that are listening to this, check out bountystrike.io. Hopefully it will be up when this episode is released or when you're listening to this in the future <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> somehow. And uh, maybe it will make a million bucks and become really big. M- next Metasploit, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, shit. <laughs> Now put some real good pressure on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> now I'm feeling it. Anyhow, I'm, I'm sure it's going to turn out amazing. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today on Security Headlines. And uh, I will fully, we will have you on another time in the future, back again. when. Uh... Yeah, it would be awesome. It would be fun. All right. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye.